Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode one of series 13 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Sometimes you can learn a lot about a person's purpose and values by reading their own description of what they do. That certainly applies to Claude Silva, Chief Heart Officer at VaynerMedia, and my guest on this week's podcast. In her LinkedIn profile, Claude describes what she does. It's been five years since I stepped into the awesomeness that is Chief Heart Officer at VaynerMedia. Without a doubt, it has been a life-affirming role, and it's only made my devotion to people's process deeper and more relevant. I have the honour of working with and working for 1,000 humans, and I have the honour of speaking to people inside and outside of VaynerMedia about the need to treat employees like humans and not numbers. I have been given an extraordinary platform to share why kindness, empathy, and true heart leadership is needed in today's workplaces, and even some tips on how to go about breaking the conventions that were set in the dark ages when notions of inclusivity were never spoken of. This role is filled with the exquisite, dirty work of being human. In my opinion, it's the best kind of work there is, and I'm so fortunate that for me, it's my life, it's not a job. I can't think of a more powerful way to introduce my discussion with Claude. In our conversation, we discuss how the role of Chief Heart Officer emerged and how it has evolved. We look at Claude's close working relationship with Gary Vaynerchuk, the CEO, and how together they seamlessly merge a people perspective with VaynerMedia's business strategy. We look at the Kind Candor program, which is in place at VaynerMedia, and which is designed so that feedback is an act of caring and a way of making employees better. And we also dive into the work that Claude is leading on diversity, equity, and inclusion. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in one of the most important relationships in business, that of the CEO and the CHRO and how the right organisational culture can drive, at the same time, business success and employee wellbeing. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ChartHop. ChartHop is an org management platform that helps companies turn their business strategy into their people strategy. With ChartHop, you can easily integrate all your HR systems, everything from Bamboo to ADP to Workday, to build dynamic views of your company through a visually rich org chart, robust people analytics, and streamlined headcount planning. ChartHop aligns managers, finance, and HR teams all in one place. No spreadsheets needed. Peloton, MongoDB, Postman, and other leading companies plan their orgs with ChartHop, and you can too. Head to charthop.com forward slash digital HR to learn how HR leaders are leveraging ChartHop. That's charthop.com forward slash digital HR. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Claude Silva, Chief Heart Officer at Vayner Media, to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. It's great to have you on the show, Claude. I know we'd actually talked about doing this way before the pandemic, about when you were planning a trip to London that we'd record you in the studio. But um, can you provide listeners with a with a brief introduction to your background and your role at Vayner Media? Absolutely, David. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for for being patient until we could get this together as, as well. Uh, yes, my uh, my name is Claude Silver, Chief Heart Officer of Data Media. Uh, I came to this role by making a pivot in my career, actually. I was a strategist for a very long time, working in holding company, ad agencies. I even ran a surfing company a long time ago. Yeah, started my digital 
my digital um, adventure in 1998 in San Francisco. So really, I was a part of the first dot-com boom. And then, of course, the bust. Uh, studied psychology. And um, really, you know, who I've been the entire time, my entire life has always been this person. I mean, I have a wonderful title, which is Chief Heart Officer. But I've always been this mentor, this coach, this person that really wants to help people figure it out, unlock, you know, figure out like how to see the silver lining in things. So I met Gary Vaynerchuk, my CEO, when I was actually living in London and I was at Publicist London. We met, we connected. It was really uh, incredible. It was like meeting my brother or the other side of my, uh, of my coin, if you will. And uh, soon enough, he and I started to work together in New York at VaynerMedia at the headquarters in May of 2014. Around a year in to my career with him there, I was running a very large piece of business, Unilever business. It just dawned on me, I got that voice in my head that just said I wasn't interested anymore in the world of advertising. I didn't want to create campaigns anymore, but I wanted to be with people. I wanted to be with the culture and help them, you know, help people flourish, help the culture be the best it possibly could be. So I thank Gary so much for the opportunity, told him I love the place. It was amazing. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I only care about the heartbeat of this place. I only care about the people. And one thing led to another, and we created this role, the chief heart officer role, based on who he saw me being Besides just running a very large piece of business, I think I had amassed um, a lot of equity there with people, and, and, and again, you know, just taking just taking charge in, in terms of like being that go-to person. So it was a very easy transition because it's not a mask I have to wear every day. It just is it's me. So I've been doing this for five years now, almost to the day. So tell us a little bit more about Chief Heart Officer. I'm sure you get asked about this a lot, but you've talked about how how it emerged as such but you know what what's involved in the in the role and how's it evolved in those those five years since you've been doing it yeah i love the question because the evolution is the main is the main part the role was was initially set up to scale gary and really that's scaling the unscalable right it's you know doing what he does with people but in my way and when i asked him the minute he said that's it we're gonna we're gonna create this chief heart officer role when i said to him how do we know if i'm successful he said you will touch every single individual and infuse the agency with empathy. So every year, and multiple times a year, I ask him if that's still what I'm doing. And even, you know, three weeks ago, I asked him, yep, yep, yep. So it's mine to figure out every day how I'm going to do that based on who I'm speaking with, what challenge we have in front of us, what someone is coming to me with, whether or not that is. Uh, you know, difficulty receiving feedback, wanting a pay rise, wanting to switch teams, loves it here, it's the best place ever, they just want to tell me about it, um, so forth and so on, want some personal coaching. I get to go into my toolkit every day and figure out how to hold space for that conversation and how to connect the dots for people because well, it's not that we're a giant agency, we're only a thousand and that's not that big. But really, it is all about the relationships. It really is all about the fact that we, when we say we are people first, we are people first. It isn't any, any kind of smoke and mirror. So the way the role has evolved is I had to learn how to scale myself very quickly. And so I was able to find people who I felt had a very similar, we'll just call it a DNA, 
very similar way of being with people, trusting first, showing kindness, compassion, being empathetic, understanding that vulnerability is a strength, those types of things. And I found them in different pockets and I call them culture champions. They're in every office, multiple people in certain offices. Uh, and I can call upon them anytime to help me well, figure it out with someone. Because my role was initially to oversee everything that is HR, it's really to oversee all everything that is people and the experience that they're having. And I changed the name of the department pretty much day five to people and experience rather than HR. I've hired a wonderful HR department, which is fantastic. And so my day now is much more in the 20,000 foot view, the clouds, and then the dirt, what is happening on the ground. And I'm literally going up and down, up and down and sideways all day long in operational meetings and senior leadership meetings, figuring out, you know, bottlenecks, figuring out how to get more, you know, get get higher quality talent in the door. What are we doing to keep our talent? Mentorship, making sure that we have diversity at the forefront of our brain every single second. Like yesterday, we just kicked off an enormous education project. So anything, again, that has to do with people and experience, and that has just grown in five years as we've grown. And it's also, I've matured, and, you know, and understanding more of what is needed as our people go through different life stages now also. And it's so important, isn't it, especially in, you know, in any organisation, but obviously one that's, that's grown over the, the last few years, that the people is at the centre of every big decision, every big initiative that an organization is taking. And I guess you're representing the people of the organization. That's exactly right. I mean, earlier today, I went through a, a gender pay equality exercise and then presented that to Gary today. I mean, anything and everything that has to do with people in the organization from the minute they apply and they put their CV through our system to their last day, whether or not that's voluntary or involuntary exit. And then even afterwards, we have something called an alumni program where we really try to place people that have left us for whatever reason uh, in other organizations. Because ultimately, if we can keep people in our ecosystem, it's it's better for us. And I'd like to say it's really, you know, it's I think it's better for better for the world if if we're doing our job right, which is really teaching necessary life skills, otherwise called soft skills, and hard skills. Well, it's nice, isn't it? If people talk about I know, the college they went to with fondness, it's nice that they talk about places that they've worked with fondness, even when they're not there anymore, you know? And, and they're almost like an ambassador for your organization, even if they're not working with you anymore. Oh, a thousand percent. They are absolutely the brand. And I would love for someone to look back in 20 years and 15 years and say, you know, those seven years I spent at VaynerMedia were the best, best seven years of my career. Or what a great career decision that was back when I was 23. Yeah. Or, or 45. You know, it doesn't matter. But I want this to be a place where people wake up and they say, no matter what, because we know it's not utopia, no matter what, I go to Vayner every single day and they have my back. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. So tell us a bit about your working relationship with, with Gary. So, I mean, I met him very briefly at a conference in San Francisco three or four years ago now. It's the first Unleashed conference in uh, in the US, actually. 
and he spoke on stage and he's a, he's a definitely a real bullion character, isn't he? But I mean, what was amazing was that how important he stressed that the whole people and culture of the organization was that sort of really came through uh, really powerfully. So tell us a bit about your, your working relationship with him. Yeah, I think it's so funny. We talk about this sometimes because we do so much on intuition. He and I remember we connected and it was literally like meeting my other half. We connected and it was, oh, wow, we have the same belief in humans. So when you have that, when we both come from this place that we trust first, it's almost like, okay, if you trust first, you get all that other muck out of the way. So what is the one thing we want to figure out? You know, does this person feel safe to come to work every single day and bring their best? Or... Is there fear in the system or are they the fear in the system? Are they the cynic in the system? So anyway, our, our communication is, uh, is, it is intuitive, but it's very, very text-based. We have obviously weekly check-ins. I'm in so many conversations with him on a leadership level that I'm on screen with him. What I believe my role is, is to literally feel the conversation, feel what is going on in the different cultures. And again, I have people that can feed me that information along with you know, speaking to people all day and listening, taking in data and looking for patterns, you know, whether or not that's speaking to people in Singapore my evening tonight or, you know, LA tomorrow. Um, so, you know, the, the role as when Gary announced the role internally, and remember I had already been here for 16 months, he said, this role will make no dis- no sense on paper, but will make all the sense on heart. And that's his way of speaking, but that is my way of speaking, because it just makes sense to have someone in an organization, I truly believe, and I don't know if this is a function of HR, that is given the baton to make decisions based on people and has all the autonomy in the world to make those decisions because it's already been blessed. So the only thing I go to him for when I need a decision uh, is either like a spot, you know, a spot salary increase, which is very rare, but is literally a termination. That's what he wants to know. Who are we terminating? Why have we looked under every single rock? Is there not another opportunity? Okay. Understood. So, but we're, you know, we're, I mean, I, texting all the time, which is awesome. It seems because we hear a lot of CEOs saying that people are their most important asset, but I'm not sure it, they're all saying it truthfully, but I think with Gary, it actually is. that He actually means it, doesn't he? I mean, I guess the fact that, you know, you've got the role you've got and you've got that such a close relationship is in, indicative of that. Mm-hmm. Do you think it helps, you know, so many people work in HR roles or people roles and that, and that, that they just stay in that function for, for their whole career? They work some work their way up to to effectively be the chief people officer. Do you think it it helps you and it helps your relationship with Gary that you have worked in the business? You are obviously an expert in what you do in the in the industry that you're working in as well. Does that help? It only helps because I speak agency. I'm fluent on an agency floor because I spent almost twenty years in an advertising in an advertising creative advertising floor from you know a little one up the ladder through a line manager through, you know, making very, very large decisions on, on businesses. Uh, so it is the secret sauce aside from just being who Claude is. 
right? Just just my own DNA and how I was brought up, and and you know that I believe in emotional optimism, and I I truly believe that there is a silver lining, and that's not to negate what goes on in a human being, of course. So, but because I've been in those operational meetings in a prior life, or because I've done resourcing and staffing for my own team, or I've run PMLs, it isn't. A, I don't have to learn a new language. However, if you put me on the floor of um, uh, the stock exchange, or you put me in, in you know, in city center in London, uh, you know, I I would have to learn an entirely new language, and it would take me some time, obviously. And so that's not what you need today. You, you know, a, a huge KPI of ours is speed. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, we talked a, a little bit. I mean, you mentioned a couple of the initiatives that you that you're working on. It'd be great to dive into into some of those in more details. Um, maybe let's start with the Kind Candle program that you've got. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and the intentions behind it and any outcomes that you've managed to measure so far? Yeah, and I will say Kind Candor isn't even a program. Kind Candor is, it is literally an, un, uh, an unveiling of what is right beneath the people-first culture. And it is the way we are going to have, it is the way we are now having conversations because, you know, we, we brought radical candor into the system a while ago, about four years ago when the book came out, five years ago when the book came out, and we really kind of made it our own. It was still very difficult to get into the water stream. And partially, partially that's because you've got nice guys such as Gary or myself who want to give people second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. We, again, back to the trust first. That didn't do us any favors, though. That really didn't, because when it came time to give someone, you know, put someone on a performance plan, or even exit them, what, what do you think they said? No one told me that. No one gave me that feedback, Bob. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, that didn't happen. Or I failed to do it. So we needed something new that really spoke to who he is, his personality, his DNA, obviously mine. Because I come straight from him, and then something that we could scale. We can scale kindness very, very easily because it is literally a value of ours. Uh, I, you know, if we need to teach kindness, I'm not sure if we have the right person in in house. Um, and and then the candor part is the honesty. But if you come at it in that way of being, you know, of caring about a person, of literally wanting the best for them, and that might not be here. So kind candor is our new way of being. And you know, we've had a lot of fun with it. I mean, some people are, you know, hashtag kindor or kindor or what I mean, it's now in the water stream so much that people are really uh they're using it in their own vernacular and they're using it in their own meetings, which means it's working. Yeah. Which means it's it's not it's not a word such as empathy, which has different meanings for different people depending on your makeup. But we it's very easy for me to say. Kindness. Okay. Empathy is the emotion. How you act on empathy is being kind. It's being a compassionate person. Let's figure that out. Good. And then the honesty part is being, you know, extremely specific and actionable with what you're telling them. So what I can say is we rolled that out January 5th, 4th, whenever we came back in an all hands meeting. And it is now a part of our, uh, part of our vernacular it is absolutely something that is happening in any meeting in any text message i get about uh, a you know difficult conversation that someone had to walk into they'll text me back and say you know it was full of it was full of candor da, 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 you know 
specific, specific. So for, for us, it was really natural evolution in a way that allows us to not only put people first, but also put business decisions at the fore. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I mean, I, I say to my kids, so they're 12 and 10, I always say, treat people how you'd like to be treated. And I guess some of it comes into that kind of Sometimes it's just put yourself in the other person's shoes. And, and you said, you know, being kind to one thing, but actually couple that with the honesty as well. So it's not, you know, there aren't surprises. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, you know, human beings, you know, we're, we're all incredibly diverse and we're, you know, we're phenomenally messy because of who you just, that's the, that's the same of it, which is, it's beautiful. But, you know, it's, there's something beautiful about that, all of us. So we can't change someone's behavior. I have no control over that. But I have the control at least of putting something in the system, teaching people, and then hopefully they adapt to it. And that, again, brings people into a culture of autonomy. And that's what we want to give people. We don't want micromanagers here. The answer is fairly obvious, but it'd be good to hear some examples. How important is it and how to ensure that leadership, not just Gary but and you, but other leaders in the organization exemplify the principles behind kind candor. I, what I can say, one of the evolutions that we've had here in the five years I've been in the role, certainly the seven years that I've been at the company, is we've now brought in very tenured, experienced individuals who not only have come from other you know, top-tier uh, creative agencies, they've been clients before. You know, they've, they've they are adults, and that's really important. And so that doesn't mean that they have all of the answers, of course. And the great thing about Kindfander is, and the great thing about, if, if you can let go of the reins, you can understand that you don't have to have all of the answers as a leader, but just as a human being, right? We don't expect people to have all the answers, but I expect leaders to be guides. I expect leaders to come to the table with a level of maturity and to set other people up for success. Now, that's always been in the system, but we now have an incredible leadership team that we you know, we meet every Monday together globally, um, and we talk about these things. So yesterday was you know, one, of the, one of the meetings where we're talking about bringing in uh, high-performing, high-achieving uh, high talent and what's that like and what do we need to you know, give these people as responsibilities aside from the first part of their job description? What's the second part of the job description? Which is, you know, how to be a good human yeah, and how to be the bigger person in every situation and how to give feedback. Don't be a chicken. Like we're not hiring you to chicken out. We're hiring you to put a stake in the ground and then to have people, you know, identify or be inspired by who you are. Yeah, and, and, and that all goes, I guess, to creating that culture. You talked about that culture of trust, of safety, of psychological safety. And, and, and I love what you're saying there about, you know, not having all the answers and actually leaders being vulnerable. You know, it's actually, you know, admitting you don't have all the answers. I guess the events of the last year have taught us that none of us have all the answers. And it's, it's OK to say we don't know the answers sometimes. So. thousand percent, David. And I think that takes emotional courage, vulnerability, you know. For so long, we've all seen vulnerability as soft and as a weakness. And quite frankly, if you can, if you can raise your hand and admit that you don't know something or that you also are burnt out, what does that do? It just normalizes and equalizes the playing floor and they can get on with it. You know, rather than feeling like as a leader, you have to be the end all, be all judge and jury. That's just not possible. It's not feasible anymore. 
And as you said, if, if there's one thing we've learned, we don't have the answers. And we've all been in, in a very large collective experience together. And again, if leaders set that example, then others also know that it's okay not to know everything and not pretend that you know everything and you know and that create that that helps the culture as well that's exactly that's exactly right it, it really does and it, i think it reduces uh, unhealthy friction and it reduces this um, this idea of you know are you on or off the island you know this idea of like they're good they're bad let's get rid of all of that stuff i mean we talked about you know that ability to to not be a chicken to give feedback you know What's the number one piece of advice that you would give to to our listeners about delivering effective feedback? So aside from being kind, which I don't want to, I think that that's a given if you know me. So going into it with as much humility as possible. I think, I think the other thing to do is to make sure that you at least try to understand how the other person is going to hear what you're about to say. Because what happens when it's, you know, hey, David, can I sit down? Can, you, can we sit down a little bit? I'd love to give you some observations of the conversation we just had. Well, you're a human, so you either go into fight, flight, or flee, and you put up and you put up walls immediately. So it doesn't matter what I said because you already have a defense. So understanding how I want to enter that conversation, which is probably something great. You know, David, I really appreciate that conversation that we had. I really, I, I recognize that you really studied up quite a bit on it, and you obviously practiced on it. And I'd love to give you some observations that I've had to work on too. You know, vulnerable. Make yourself a human. Again, just because you're the one that's giving the observations or the, the, the feedback, if you will, doesn't, again, subjective, isn't it? It's subjective. Just because I happen to like light blue and you like dark blue, it's, I'm not right. It's, it's subjective. And so that's what I mean by understanding how that other person is going to hear and receive and again, knowing that this is all subjective. Hopefully, the point is to get you to growth. Because we all have this invisible ink here. You know, I don't know if you can see it on my head. And it says, help me grow. Help me grow. Every single one of us. Yeah, we all want to, yeah, we all want to go. And I was wondering, actually, whilst you were talking, obviously, the last year, we've all been working, you know, not all of us, but a lot of us have been working virtually pretty much exclusively. Is giving feedback different in that kind of environment, that virtual environment, versus doing it face-to-face? I have to say yes. I'd love to say no. But I have to say yes because already this is, a, this is so foreign. I can't – there's no – we can't feel each other's energy. You know, I can't see what you're doing and be jittery under the table because I can only see you from the shoulder. I'm shivering. So, I'm shaking. So, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But you know what it's like when people all of a sudden are you know, bottom there their fingers up and down, their legs up and down or jittery with their hands. So we can't see any of that. And so how can you deliver whatever it is you're going to deliver with just more humanity, with just more tenderness? And that's not to be soft and to shy away from the topic. That's not what we're talking about. It's to just understand, like, look, loneliness is at an all-time high. Emotional uh, emotional and mental uh, health is at, and those issues are at an all-time high. This has not been easy for anyone. And it hasn't been easy for myself or you. So let's identify with that and walk into the conversation in a slightly different way than you would if I was in person with you. Because it would be very different. It would be different. It really would. I would have more, you know, I would have more of a ability to hold the space with you, to create the space 
physically than I do looking at a screen and wondering what's going on over there. Home life, obviously, because That's everyone's right. been at home. But, you know, and it's understanding there's challenges. Uh, that I'm lucky my wife doesn't work, so she's been homeschooling the children, looking after the children. I've got, I'm lucky I live in a house where I've got my own office, you know, tucked away from the rest of it. I'm not having to share it with anyone else, but not everyone else is that lucky, you know, you know, to people having to share broadband or they, you know, they either, they might be a single parent with, with two young children at home, for example. And how do you balance work and, you know, family? So it's, it's, it's been really challenging, I think. Yeah, and, and that takes, uh, I think, a healthy dose of, again, understanding what it's been like for you so that you can understand what it's been like for others or empathizing the fact that, you know, you have a dog with those two people or those two people on the screen have four kids, you know, or no child care because for a long time no one couldn't have anyone in your home. It has been such a human experience that one that I don't know if any of us were necessarily prepared for or ever saw coming. And of course, there's gifts that have come from that. You know, more time at home, more time with your kids, more time with, certainly more time with my daughter. And, uh, you know, the idea that we don't have to get all suited and booted every day. Yeah. Those types of things. But I think it's shown how adaptable we are as humans as well. You know, we're lucky that we've had these, you know, the technology that we're using today, for example, I think that you know, I just think what would have happened five years ago when we were using those old conference systems where we couldn't even see each other. That would have been uh, even more dehumanizing. Seriously dreadful. Seriously. Yeah. So, of course, it, the pandemic isn't the only crisis that we've gone through in the last 12 months. And I know that you, an initiative that you've really been focusing on um, within the, the DE or diversity, equity and inclusion practice since the murder of George Floyd you know, can you tell us a bit about what you're working on and what practical steps you've taken to address the challenges facing underrepresented groups in the workforce? I mean, I probably will say that was the biggest challenge I probably ever went through in my career was those moments and those few days afterwards and not and, and literally not having any answers. Not, you know, the only thing I could do was listen. But the questions I was being asked, I didn't have answers for yet. And that was a very, very humbling place to be and a good place for me to be, I have to say, to be able to look also at my own, my own bias for sure. So, you know, as soon as that, ha- as soon as the murder of George Floyd happened, I think that next week I brought in a, um, an incredible, incredible trainer. Um, who took all of the senior leadership, so I'm talking 85 people and up all across the globe through um, three-hour Zoom trainings, very intimate trainings on racism, anti-racism, obviously unconscious bias, microaggression, and uh, what it is to be an ally. And then we trickled that throughout the system. But I had to start with the senior leadership because they were also getting the questions. They didn't know how to answer those questions either. So the training was one thing. Having these conversations, they're bringing, I mean, immediately sitting down with our, uh, our Black and our African American group, which is uh, an ERG, an employee resource group, bringing in our uh, Hispanic and Latino groups, even our Asian, Asian American groups, bringing everyone together, but, but literally just to hold it, listen, and then put plans in place. So it was one thing to put initiatives in place, right? Everyone can do initiatives, you know, we can. Uh, that's easy. You can do a, um, a fundraising project, all of those things. 
but really we needed to get a strategy in place and one that wasn't just going to be for crisis. You know, similarly to, and I, and I don't mean this in a, um, a flip way at all, I mean, when COVID hit, there was no playbook. You and I didn't all of a sudden say, what did, you know, what did, uh, I don't know, Geico do in 19, you know, 85, you know what I'm saying? There was nothing. We had to make it up on the fly. We had to go into triage immediately. Same thing with George Floyd, especially in America, when, you know, the riots and everything took place. So uh, what I will say is we started a very in-depth search for a chief diversity officer. We have hired that person. That person will start in mid-April. Cannot wait. It took a very long time to find this person. I probably... Um, met 45 different people on screen and filtered them through the system. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but getting, getting the groups together and listening and then literally riding shotgun, being a passenger while they put together plans. Yes, I was the sponsor, the executive sponsor, but it wasn't Claude's plans. This is what, what does our Black and African American group feel like they need from VaynerMedia today? tomorrow and the next day. And a lot of that was visibility. A lot of that was, hey, we need to know what a mentorship looks like here. What what are your what are our numbers? When are we going to increase our diverse hires? Those types of things, you know, how can you help us from a mental health perspective that might be different than how you help the masses? You know, so bringing in specific, you know, very well known meditate uh, meditative teachers, meditation teachers to sit with our black and brown communities, which has been really exceptional, I think, and really well received, and to put together recruiting plans, leaning on Gary to help us. You know, I mean, he's, you know, we have a, we have so much equity and currency with him, and uh, it's not that he's the magic trick, but to go into any of these colleges or organizations, you know, having him speak and letting people know, like, our door is open in, in America. I remove the need for a college degree from every single job description, unless it's, it, unless it's legal, right? Unless you need to have a, a JD there. But um, that, I think, also allowed us to look in different areas for diverse hires. And by no means are we there. We still have a, a long way to go. Um, but that also opened the door to look into um, gender equality and, uh, and, and pay and look at our LGBTQ plus and revamp some of our benefits to make sure that we were um, inclusive to people that were going through transition. And, you know, it, it opened the door to look at diversity in a holistic manner. Once I felt like we had enough steam in our black and brown communities and the work isn't done. And like I said, we're about to embark on a whole new adventure with our uh, chief diversity officer very soon great i mean it's a great story because it's i mean the, the the way that obviously transparency the way you gave underrepresented groups voice um and i think most important take an action because i think that's yeah. what it is isn't it it's not i think listening obviously especially at the outset very very important but it's about action at the end of the day isn't it that that, that and people need to see that action you know across the across the organization both inside and outside Always, always. And, you know, we, we've we had a lot of people from the outside, you know, knock on our door and kind of poke a little hole here and there to make sure, like, are we doing what it is we say we're doing or what 
and Gary says something to the press, are we doing that? And that's fantastic. I mean, sure, it keeps us honest, and we are, which is a great part. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, so if we look, you know, obviously, I, I, I love that hearing the story on, on, on the evolution of the Chief Heart Officer. I mean, it's fantastic. Maybe you could share your number one, or maybe maybe it's more than one piece of advice, for, for small, medium-sized businesses looking to address the significant and important challenge around diversity and equity and inclusion? For small, medium businesses and really for any business, I think that there is power in numbers and you want to make sure that you have a very diverse floor. And especially if you are dealing with consumers or customers, because customers and consumers make up the macrocosm, right? So you need to be able to speak to them whomever they are, whomever they are. Uh, and so that's really, really important. So having the right talent internally, whether or not that's a freelancer or whether that's an FTE, full-time hire, like that's a, that's completely up to you. But you have to be able to represent the macrocosm. I truly believe that. And then you need to be able to click into that and make sure that whatever you are giving to white person and especially a white male, you are granting that same exact thing to any person of an underrepresented uh, community. And that means giving them ample time in a meeting. Also, you know, making sure having someone just say like, Oh, I see that person has their hand raised, you know, or you, you know what I mean? So it's, it's obviously pay. It's, uh, it's attention. You know, giving people attention is really important. Making sure that we're not asking a, a black or brown person to wait, just wait a second while I figure this out with this white person over here. Like optics are, you know, perception is reality. And so optics are very, very important. As long, you know, honest optics, I would say. And there's so many things to look at. But I, I think that if we could take a step back and as you tell your kids, put yourself into someone else's shoes as much as you can. You and I are never, David, no matter what, you and I will never know what it's like to be uh, anything other than a Caucasian. We just won't. We won't. So we can do so much, right? And that's why we need other people that have, that come from these backgrounds to help us with cultural competency because you and I are just going to miss a few things, not because our intention isn't there. We're just going to miss a few things. So cultural competency is the most important thing I think that we could be looking at in, in totality now. And we need to bring people in to help us. You know, last question to finish, and we haven't talked much about technology and data and analytics yet, but I think you're going to get, we'll get the opportunity to do that now. So this is a question we're asking all our guests on the, in the series. Um, be interesting to get your perspective. How does having the right people data in place support a business operating in a fast paced environment like, like VaynerMedia and maybe tackle some of the, the topics that we've talked about. So we brought on a company called HiBob, which is a people management system. Uh, we integrated with them, started integrating with them a year ago. And so we are now seeing the fruits of that labor. As we you know, set up the system, set up the system in the summertime, you know, made sure that we were starting to report on things. So we don't have a full year's worth of data yet since it really started to collect July, August. Uh, but the great thing is that we will have a year's worth of data come July, August. And we can report on pretty much, you know, their dashboards for anything, whether or not it's, it's um, 
um, for progress reviews or um, uh, DNI numbers or learning and development programs, anything, anything and everything. They've been incredible to work with. So that is what I would say um, I'm really looking forward to, even when our uh, chief diversity officer comes in in a couple of weeks, for that person to really look at these dashboards and make sure that we are reporting on the right things. Because again, I don't know everything. And that's, that's, that's the beauty. So I'm looking forward to that. Before, you know, before we were using that, um, we really were relying on ADP, which, which gives you a little bit of an, uh, an info, but certainly not the, the level of detail that I certainly wanted or Gary certainly wanted. You know, once upon a time, he and I really had this dream that you could create a baseball card basically for every single employee. And at any given time, you could, te- you know, you could type in, David Green and up comes your whatever it is I want to see. Yeah. Hi, Bob is giving me that. And it, it really was 18 months until I found that right system that had a, an incredible user interface that I thought would really be, would adapt well to our culture. And uh, I'm happy to say that it has. And, and of course, you know, we use Slack just like everyone else. And that's been very effective in terms of, you know, it's not reporting, but it's certainly effective in terms of, Keeping people together, keeping the culture alive, you know, creating rooms uh, and groups based on a variety of different things outside of your account work. And of course, I guess as a business, you know, not to say the business runs purely on data, but obviously in the media world, you know, a lot of it's about data, isn't it? And understanding what works, what doesn't work. So it's, it's, it's bringing some of that, I guess, into how you manage people. That's exactly right. And I mean, our, our media department has so many you know, bespoke pieces of tech that they've created, you know, whether or not it's ad tech or, you know, Facebook ads or, or all those things. So to your point, it's bringing some of that mindset into what we call, you know, a, a honey, a honey empire, a people first company, because people also want to have information at their fingertips. And they should. And so, you know, we've you know, finally gotten out of Google Sheets, which, you know, has been fantastic. And we ran a company for 10 years in, in you know, Google Docs and, uh, you know, in Box. And we're growing up. I, I said to someone the other day, I was interviewing a very senior person. And I said, you know, when I started in 2014, we were very, very, you know, young team. We were like 13 years old. We still had spots on our face. And and I've seen the evolution and, you know, we're right around, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old right now. We're really kind of like coming out of adolescence and growing up. And, and I'm really, I'm so proud of the, the work that we've all done to create a very, you know, sustainable and fast paced company that is built around being good to people. Brilliant. Well, it's been fantastic to hear the story, Claude. Thank you so much. And thanks for being a guest on the, on the podcast. You know, how can how can listeners stay in touch with you and 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 find out more about VaynerMedia? Follow you on social media, for example. Yeah, terrific! Please follow me on LinkedIn or, or Instagram. I have a podcast as well. Um, and you know, whenever someone writes, I write back. It might take me a little bit of time. We're hiring a lot right now at Vayner, so please go to our career page. And uh, I'd love to stay in touch. And David, thank you so so much for having me today. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Claude. It's been great to learn more about your role and, and the work, the great work that you're doing. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app. 
and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the My HR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the My HR Future website. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Isabel Nadu, Global Head of Inclusion and Talent at FIS, where amongst other topics, we discuss the impact of the pandemic on learning, leadership and culture. So don't miss that one. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.